Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Guyton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw. What is going on, Bolt fam? Andy, your host here. Welcome to the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. Joined regularly by Jack. Hello, hello, mate. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> and explicit warning on this one. And a warm welcome back in the studio to Alistair. Good to have you back, mate. Probation pending. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Jack and Andy, and uh, arrived from San Francisco, and I'm thinking I might fly right back and hop on a boat over to Alcatraz and maybe spend the rest of the off-season there and come back 2023. Yeah. You changed many different accents in that one, so well done. You really got probably all the spread of where you went. <laughs> it's and good little, to have you back. A little, little in joke for the listeners too. Uh, of course, Jack back in the day lived in uh, England for a couple of years and within three to six months there had developed a strong Cockney accent. So sometimes to fit in, you pick up the accent. And I had a great time over there with all, all the Yankees. So thanks for the people over there who made recommendations and those who caught up with me had an absolute blast. Yeah, nice one. Good, good for everyone putting up with you so we didn't have to for a little while. Well, fellas, that one bloody fucking sucked, mate. There's no two ways about it. Uh, heart ripped out via the intestines sort of areas. Jack, I know you were watching live as I was. Um, yep. We were texting violently throughout. Um, Al, we um, we haven't heard your, your sweet voice in so long, so not without the accompaniment of windy nature or 70,000-some screaming football fans in the background. <laughs> Paint us a bit of a picture as to your little journey in consuming. Yeah. I'll game. give you the quick quick run, quick run, version. Uh, I watched the first half of the game at an airport bar in Seattle. Uh, at halftime, I essentially declared the game over to Jack and Andy. I said, oh. relax, guys. Just enjoy it. It's not possible to give up a lead like this. Uh, and then I jumped on the plane oh, well, to well, hold San on, Francisco. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Alistair. You've missed out the point where I've actually said, Alistair, your hubris is going to cost us. You missed out that point there, and you've actually made fun of me for saying the third quarter is going to be really important here. Going, Haha, what are you worrying about, Jack? Don't worry about it. game. Game was over forty-five minutes ago. Just thought yeah. I'd put that in there, mate. You well, I did say I did, I did say escape. the quick version. I did you say can't the quick escape. version, but. I've omitted some relevant details in my own favour, unsurprisingly. Uh, and then when I arrived in San Francisco, uh, checked into our international gate, I sat there and I saw on the airport bus, it flicked us showing highlights of Doug Peterson, arms aloft. And my wife, whose back was to the screen, said, what's happened? <laughs> I don't know what I did. I know how I felt. Um, I felt like I couldn't breathe. It felt like a panic attack and I clearly had turned pale or something. She just said, what happened? I said, charge is lost. And then I probably didn't speak more than two words on the entire 16 hour flight back home to Australia. So uh, I dealt with it well, all things considered. But I, I'm almost happy that's how it happened for me because I can't imagine actually watching that live. If there was ever a game I was happy to miss and just be told at the end that's what happened, this was it. So in a sense, I don't envy either of you two or the TDU crew out there who watched it. 
It was yeah. for me. It was the worst professional sports loss I have ever been a part of. Uh, I'm lucky, Andy. I go for Essen, and I've seen a I've seen a premiership. Alistair, you've seen a premiership as well. You haven't seen a premiership, um, Andy, with the Saints, but this one. Uh, it's taken me a long time to recover. It's taken me about three days, I think, to be yep. fully compass And even though I screamed at the start of this podcast, I've calmer heads prevail and um, <laughs> I was sort of feeling a little better, but that was hard. That was very, very, very hard. Very hard. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a few AFL grand final losses for my team. Uh, some as a young kid that scarred me for life and some when I was inebriated and upset and angry afterwards uh but this was by far the most gut-wrenching i watched it with a couple of uh, mates who don't follow the charges just enjoy the sport hanging out and i couldn't get out of that house faster um yeah partner came to pick me up and she was a little late and it was it made for awkward lounge room time where i couldn't just stand outside and wait just had to have a bad time engulfing that well, on that, we'll we'll do our best to get through mm. all the important stuff from the the wild card loss in Jacksonville. Have a bit of fun uh, with what we might think, uh, what we think might become might be to come this off season, and let you guys know what we have in store uh, now that the season itself is finished up. Just for our little future. Um, all right, deep breath. You can do this. <laughs> Los Angeles Chargers thirty, Jacksonville Jaguars <clears throat> thirty one. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> That start, it was glorious. It wasn't clean necessarily, but it was beautiful. Four first half interceptions by the defense. Asante Samuel Jr. shaking off the cinder blocks and hauling them in. Offense took advantage of short field positions. Charges are 27 points up. If we were living in dreamland, this surely would have culminated in a new set of sheets come morning time. <laughs> Alas, the sheets still needeth be changed because what happened next was a nightmare so sinister and bewildering, urine had soaked right through to the mattress. I ripped the band-aid, Jags pegged it back, 30 to 26. Trevor Lawrence was playing out of his mind in the second half. Charges not so much. Joey, poor Joey. Spat the dummy, thrust his helmet through to the Earth's core. That two-point conversion meant the ensuing Riley Patterson field goal would win it as the clock ran down. And there, the Chargers season ended. <sighs> Jack, I want to ask you, what stats are important in a game like this? Uh, the score. What matters? The score. Other than the fact the score. it's win or, win, uh, win or loss, that's that's what matters there. It's playoff football. However, you get the win is that's that's how you win some well, that's of these a playoff result. games. Yeah. Um, you know? What stats matter? I mean, ASJ had a, a record-breaking game, um, and I think that's a really good step in his career. I think that's great for his confidence and mm. and things like that um, at a very personal sort of micro level. Other than that, Everett had a good game, but we tended to just not pass to him in the second half. Um, yeah, what stats matter for me? It's the win or the loss. That that that's it. That's the long and the short, and and that's that's all I have. So. Yeah, yeah, good question, but it I'm a bit... A, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alistair's got his hand up in it. The numbers guy. Here we go. Can I talk about it? some stats? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, numbers guy. The best stats from this game has to be Trevor Lawrence is 5 of 15 for 35 yards in the first half, a TD and four interceptions. And in the second half, 
He's 10 of 11, 115 yards, three touchdowns on passes outside the numbers. And it's it's just the tale of two halves. And it, it was so upsetting to see adjustments made on the Jags side of the ball. And they were made. I you know went through the coaches' film. What was clear is in the first half, there was kind of passing over the middle, which we were covering really well. And second half afterwards, and in fact, they started doing it on the final drive of the first half. Mm-hmm. And this is what bothers me about our defensive coaches. They started utilizing swings, screens, outbreaking routes, and they decided they were going to put stress on Tranquil, on Kenneth Murray, on Derwin James, mm-hmm. and they were going to use a lot more quick game and not worry about hitting some of their receivers so so far down um, the field. And we we did either we didn't counter adjust or we don't have players who are really good at doing some of those things i think it's a combination of both and it was really depressing to see that none of the three of us are x's and o's experts but it was palpable that one side had made some good changes and the other side hadn't so much uh that's one big takeaway numerically for me and then what i was seeing on the film what, what, what did you think andy Oh, just on that, I, I really noticed that um, early uh, Kenneth Murray was actually looking pretty dangerous around the line of scrimmage, recorded that sack, got another hurry, um, and he was he picked the gap really well. And It was like his first then, sack of the year when he didn't get stuck on the line. That was yeah, such a good it, blitz. He yeah, worked through awesome. two blockers. Awesome. And he was patient as well on it as well, timed yeah. it well. Uh, and then... Yeah, like you said, it started just before the half. That's sort of where I started to get a bit jittery when I saw that last drive. It was reminiscent of week 18, Denver getting that late one back. And even though it was a bit different how it went down, it was the same sort of feel. And then I see a lot more of Kenneth Murray as the kind of the backer dropping into coverage. Um, And he was just concrete feet, um, didn't know where to be and was getting picked off over the middle every single time. Um, Chris, uh, Christian Kirk, you name it. Uh, Evan Ingram, took Evan Ingram killed us. Same there was kind a of missed tackles started to creep in, uh, which weren't there in the first half. Tranquil, you know, went for an ankle tackle and he got through for about mm. thirty. Mm. One of the w- one of the hardest things to do when you're performing an activity or you're performing or you're running an organization is to make changes on the go, and I think what we saw with Peterson versus Staley is we saw an experienced coach be able to work through hardship. He's clearly experienced it before um, at Philadelphia with Wentz going down and then having to have Foles come in, but actually knowing what to do, knowing what to say, how to communicate. Um, Cause you clearly saw for me in that, some of that film that you shared, Alistair, the eyes for Lawrence completely changed. He wasn't looking intermediate. He started actually looking deep. They gave him a little bit more time as well at the offensive line with all that movement at the line of scrimmage from the swings and, and screen passes. Is he a good quarterback, Jack? Before I go on that one, the what I'm saying here is that Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi can clearly plan for a game. I don't think there's any doubting that. They can play. They can install a game plan. The players know exactly what they need to do. And they were sitting down on everything short. ASJ was just sitting down. Derwin James continued to sit down into that second half. And you saw it biting on those intermediate passes. 
So there's a breakdown somewhere at what happens at halftime. Either the players don't get the right communication, the coaches don't make the right adjustments, or they do, the players are just not empowered to, or they just they can't actually go out there and do it. But something happens at halftime, and I don't know what that is. I do trust Brandon Staley to make those adjustments, but I think when, it, when we talk about out-coaching, uh, what the fuck does that mean? But it clearly was one guy that was able to make adjustments on the fly and do it, and one team that really couldn't. Now, is it fair to say that in that game, Staley lost DeAndre Carter when they were already down receivers, Jamari Solia, the left tackle, so in comes Sorrell, and Michael Davis, the best corner when he doesn't have JC Jackson already. That is being glossed over a bit at the minute. And correct me if I'm wrong, it didn't seem that the Jags lost anyone during the game at least can't think of one off the top of my head. Nah. That ha- that affects or at least contributed to that second half comeback, I think. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I, and, and you, you can't gloss over that fact because you're playing, you're literally playing with second and third and fourth stringers anyway. So you're going in with one arm tied behind your back. But I think even, and if this is symptomatic, perhaps this loss was symptomatic of everything that happened this year, is that we... The reason our third quarters offensively anyway are so poor is, I believe, due to that breakdown in communication of not knowing how to adapt on the fly and not being creative enough and and being and communicating with your players clearly. That's pure speculation. I, obviously, we're not in the locker room and things like that. To circle back to Trevor Lawrence as a good quarterback, yes, I think he is. I actually think he's, pretty, he's going to be pretty mm-hmm. handy. Um, and he's got one of the best coaches in the league with him, I think. Uh, last yep. year was an aberration with Urban Meyer. So, yeah, unfortunately, yep. I think he's going to be okay. And uh, I've got egg on my face for paying out the Jaguars at the start of the year. So, mm. well done, Jack. Good job. Well, it doesn't make yeah. any of us happy to hear it. Just <laughs> building on what you were saying about the uh, adjustments, we talked about this a lot this season. Mm. We talked about do our coaches have instincts the right instincts and let me go with three that really bothered me in this game the one everyone's talked about jet sweep to michael bandy on a third and one i know herbert checked into it but that play shouldn't be in the book i'll let you guys should not be oh i'm gonna jump Jump right at that i watched that sickeningly a lot of times last night and Mm. i think bandy actually got the motion timing wrong yeah. and was late on it and ran into it. He looked like he was trying to get out of the way and the handoff was actually for Kelly, I think, who was the back at the time. So I don't think like that jet sweep is maybe in the book and I don't know, I can't understand why they'd use Bandy as it, but it didn't look like he was expecting the ball. He looked like he was trying to get out of the way and was like, shit, oh, I'm late. Okay. I don't think he... I don't, if you watch it again... I, I have it, yeah. I would have to have he, a look. He doesn't look like he's trying to receive the ball. Doesn't yeah. put his hands up to take it, so I think he just so that was up the, the timing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that was brutal. Why, why aren't you? But on that, why aren't you sneaking your six six quarterback? Right, I'm sure. I mean, inches. I think that was the play call. The play call was sneak, and Herbert's gone kill, kill, right. and that's the kill play. That's how, the second how, play built in it. But it shouldn't. How be is that? How is that a checkout play when you've got your fifth or sixth wide receiver there? I, I just that mm. that boggles my mind. That absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. That absolutely yep. blows my mind. Anyway, sorry, so, Alistair. So that's the talk. No, no, no. I'll be quick. That's that's the main talked about one. Two sneaky ones that also shit me off. Uh, third quarter, 12 minutes remaining. Uh, we're up 27 to 7. And we decided to punt instead of attempt a 55-yard field goal with mm-hmm. Dicker. 
We obviously couldn't trust that he made the distance. So that tells me, is he the long-term answer? Because 55 yards, a lot of kickers can do that now. Why is that important? The margin in the game is 20 points there. A field goal's really fucking handy. 23 points makes it a three-plus score game. And we decided to punt. You've got to attempt the 55-yard field goal there to go up by more than three scores. And then the one that pissed me off the most. From three from Jags 22. The score is 30 to 20 charges in front. Eight minutes left in the game. You've got to go for that fourth down rather than send Dicker out from 40 yards. All that does if he converts it is make the margin in the game 13 points instead of 10 points. Still a two-score game. If you convert that first down and score a touchdown, ball game. What has happened to the Brandon Staley we knew from last year, the guy who trusted and used data, he has lost his marbles. And it's either specific to that incident or he's philosophically confused. Which do you think it is, uh, Jack? I don't think he's philosophically confused at all. I think the firing of Joe Lombardi shows that he had complete no confidence in the play call. And if you take the first thing that pissed you off, which was the bandy, which was the bandy fuck up, if I've got an offensive coordinator and that the checkout is a jet sweep, I'm going, oh my God, what the hell is going on here? So I don't think it's a lack of confidence per se. I don't, I don't, sorry, I don't think it's a, uh, a, a bit of being confused philosophically. I think it's a, it was a, it's a no, no confidence vote in what Lombardi was doing on his side of the ball. And, that, and, and, that's, and that's why I think Joe Lombardi's seen the door. Yeah, yeah I think it was don't disturb the apple cart heading into the playoffs, but I think um, it was probably coming irrespective of where the season ended, if it fell short. I don't think you can... I don't know, can you fire an offensive coordinator if you go all the way? Uh, I think it was was coming. But, you know, just first um, first play of the second half after, you know, a pretty rubbish feel at the end of the first half is a handoff in the shotgun four yards behind the line of scrimmage. Eckler gets tackled immediately. You're going, what are you doing? We're like... And how bad of... was the feeling when that's the first play of the second oh, half? God. I think every Chargers Awful. fan watched that and just thought, oh, shit, this is now a game after that being the first play of the second half. Yeah, and then it continued. The next sort of first and ten, the run plays, a loss of two up the middle, and it just wasn't working. And it's um, really disappointing that as the offense, we couldn't um, even try to generate a run game to extend the pass game. But and when we did, Andy... This was inexplicable. We ran the ball eight times to the right and 14 times to the left, even though you've got Foster Sorrell in the game. Yeah. Plus, Eckler's touchdown on the first drive is this perfect toss play to the right behind mm-hmm. Zion and Pipkins and McKitty. How have we gone from that to only doing it seven more times in the game? Unbelievable. Ridiculous how much um, I was watching them run behind Foster Sorrell. It just blew my mind. The guy looked like he was... Just like, not going to play for this team next year. He was out there just like run in his run blocking, just like have a kid having a, an absolute ball, kicking leaves around a park. It was, <laughs> get him off the damn field. In, just in, blew Sully's leg back together. In, in the defense of Lombardi there, is that Herbert checking out of... Is that Herbert checking out of plays and actually saying, actually, no, I need the ball? I mean, the counter argument to that is, you know, the ball's not... We're not, we're not getting anything on the ground, so we could be saying... Uh, or I guess other the other side is, well, put the ball in the hands of your best player, which is Justin Herbert. But stick route, stick route, stick route's not going anywhere. Um, mm. Speaking of best players, I think we probably need to 
dissect this, the Joey Bosa incidents. Um, Just about because, to bring that up now. Yeah, because those, be those were critical, critical. And you don't necessarily want to put the loss on one mistake of one player at one time. But you look at Joey Bosa, he's a leader of the team. He's a captain of the defense. He's an experienced player. We look to him to not only generate pass rush, but set the edge. You know, he's one of our premier guys. And to have him flip his lid like he did, what's going on there, Al? What, what, what's your opinion of the incidents? He's blown one of the most important moments of his career. I think his whole season and what he's had to go through has contributed to how he's acted in that moment. He started the season like a house on fire, then suffers an injury in week three, has to go through core surgery, that entire rehabilitation process, probably isn't feeling 100%. And then he's finally made a play or he's feeling like he's feeling good. And he, then he looks at this ref who he feels, you've just cost me everything, do your job properly. And then the ref goads him mm. by chasing mm. him off the field. And he's just completely snapped. Now you need oh, to be you better. See, by the way, was walking he was white hot just psycho oh and i bet you two both wanted to stand up and clobber the referee over the head yourselves in that moment oh, when i saw him chase him down absolutely that was horseshit that's despicable refereeing just absolutely despicable in my opinion but looked like he enjoyed it too he's having a bit of a mm. smile as he threw his flag up in yeah. the air but does that uh abnegate boza from the responsibility of being no. a leader it it doesn't jack do you think brandon staley is a pushover do you think this is a reflection of um, Staley's managerial style that a player would be comfortable blowing up in that moment? Yeah, good question. I think when you empower players and you have a players first mentality and Staley today in his press conference talked about relationships, 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 to let people flourish, you, you, these moments are going to happen. It's just unfortunate that it happens in a critical and crucial moment. Now, the a lot of people on Twitter and on social media have said that Joey Bosa disrespected Brandon Staley by because uh, he threw his helmet in the second incident. He threw his helmet on the ground. Brandon Staley actually went and picked it up and actually gave it back to him. And a lot of people have said, oh, he's told Brandon Staley to fuck off there and he slammed it back on the ground. Joey Bosa's press conference or when he was speaking to the media completely said, no, that's, that's completely on me. He was trying to help me there. So, um, you know, and I'm not trying to draw comparisons to when you know, you're being a teacher, but that is very much a moment where sometimes you just have to let someone blow off steam. It's going to be detrimental to them. It's probably going to be detrimental to you, but these moments just happen and you have to, you can't jump on Joey Bosa. And I really hope that um, he's not listening too much to the media. That's Joey and that Brandon and the organization can kind of patch that over because he's going to be reflecting on that for, as you said, Alistair, for the rest of his career, but really good point. No, that's yeah. a good question and you've got to deal with it because it's not only him and this is what shits me off we can have a go at the coaches for screwing up i thought the coaches screwed up in so many ways just another way mckitty had 28 snaps and parham had 25 mm. what's with that so that the coaches have shit the bed to continue your kind of bed analogy from the game summary at the mm -hmm. start um Andy, but also the players cannot escape this 
without taking responsibility. The coaches put you in a position to succeed generally with how they train you throughout the year, prepare you for big moments, call some of the right plays. At a certain point, the players need to take ownership. And we brought in all of these veterans with playoff experience, Mac, Callahan, Kyle Van Noy, uh, Gerald Everett, who actually played really well. You, you know, SJD, if just one of those guys, Boza, Keenan, make a play, just do something to, to bail out your young head coach who's been completely dropped the, dropped the He was that close, yeah, wasn't he? Almost made oh, an unbelievable man. play. But that, that was so that bothered that. You know? There are all of those little moments and, and you can dissect it as you do when you actually lose the game. There were any number of chances to win this. The Jags had just the perfect sequence of events from good coaching to the Chargers kicking own goals to Chargers players screwing up to the referees helping them to having no injuries. Wow. Everything went right for them. It was, it was very noticeable when Michael Davis went out of the game. Jasir Taylor's... Got, got promise, but he's been exposed like quite significantly the last couple of weeks. Uh, whiffed massively on Marvin Jones Jr. Um, and was just outdone. Um, you, Al, you mentioned the like getting the coaches getting players ready for the big stage. Do you think there's a, an issue with Herbert on the big stage? Mm, Do you think? Question. He struggled a bit because you're looking at a 59.1% completion. Um, his average depth of target, 6.4 yards. He had four batted passes for a six foot six guy. Now, don't get me wrong. He had that beautiful sidearm completion. Yeah. That was that was sexy. But he, a lot of throws that were just really off, like that, um, the throw that just sailed over Keenan Allen in the end zone. Uh, he also had Donald Parham open uh, on the opposite side of the goalposts. Yeah, just sailed it and just behind a couple of guys and um, do you think there's any any issue there? It's his first ever playoff game. So he's going through something for the first time, just like Brandon Staley was. So is it's Trevor in- Lawrence. So is Trevor Lawrence. Very good retort. Also it's- threw four picks in the first half and then came yep. back mm-hmm. to, to do what he did. Getting some more help from his offensive play caller, I might suggest. But um, <laughs> the, the thing with, with Herbert, and, and you Not pointed out... Throws. His two lowest completion percentages for the entire year both came against the Jags. Uh, had a look at his stats. So his two worst games from that perspective, week three and then on the weekend. So there's just something about the Jags DC that really knew what to do to stop our completions. They were ready for us both times. Uh, and like to your point, the batted passes at the line, he actually finishes with the most in the NFL. Yeah. With 23. Now he's six foot six. So it makes you think, what the hell's going on? Well, I think the answer is Lombardi, because if your average depth of target is low, correct, you're more likely to get battered. Yep. Whereas if you're pushing the yeah, ball down the fair. field or that's hitting fair. the middle of the field, you're it's less likely. Yeah. So, look, there's some of the reasons why it's not that's, all yeah, on that's Herbert. That's fair to be relative. Yep. But he had a chance, didn't he? If he hits mm. Keenan in the end zone, there, I know some people oh, no, say, one, "Oh, the Jags the Keenan was come the- back." Yeah. Keenum's at the goal line, hits... Um, Would have been Gus 31 Hellman. points, the margin in the game, had he connected. Yeah, so many there. moments where it just was game over. Um, we can't not talk about our special teams hero, Dicker the Kicker, missing that field goal. Um, mm. But that happens. Special teams also, just all three phases were just highly disappointing in the second half. 
Mm. Um, Jamal Agnew was running amok on his, um, our, as normal, our kick return, sorry, kick coverage was just not there. Can um, I just get meta on Dicker for a second, Andy, before I forget? Part of So Dicker's kicking basically for the first time in the playoffs. I don't mind the idea of sending him out from 55 because from 55, you're not that nervous and he can have a swing through of a nice kick to try and put this game out of reach. Instead, you sent him out from 40 when he hasn't kicked all game and it's in the fourth quarter. And that's when you're in your own head because you go, I'm from 40. I've got to kick this. I haven't missed all year from 40. We're up by 10. He misses it. But there's a little bit of that. I know you trust your kicker to make the kicks. I don't mind sending a kicker out from 55 just to go, you know what, Dicker, I trust you, man. Go and make this a three-score game. We're already up by 20 points. Go out there and smash it from 55. I, seeing it live, I thought the snap was slightly off. Now, I haven't gone and rewatched it. It looked yeah. either too quick or it came up on um, the placeholder really quickly or it was just off to the placeholder's right. It just didn't look right when it occurred. Mm. Um, I think you, Dicker's... You, you, just on that, you mentioned it and I... You mentioned that a couple of days ago. It looked fine. Did it? It was all right. Yeah, because I rewound and watched it again just to make sure there wasn't any boogeyman. Good operation. Good operation. (laughs) It was a good operation and it just moved left late. And uh, they only just missed it too. And the Jags only just just there. Game of the But it was defensive offside by um, Asante, Uh, so they would have had it back. Good point. Good point. Five yards closer as well. That's why you're the host. Yeah, well, you're the stats guy, so lift your game. Mm. Um, Jack, I'm going to jump uh, jump over to you just before we get into uh, coaching. I'm going to launch ahead a little bit um, to what we'll be doing in a few months' time, getting ready for the draft. Uh, considering the injury issues that we've had and the, the reliance on depth in our run defense, what level of importance do you put on drafting uh, a run stuffer? DT in in the draft this year. Uh, that uh, there's a lot of other factors that would go into a choice there, depending on what we do in free agency and who we retain. You know, if we retain guys like Morgan. Fox, okay, consider our cap situation as it is, where free agency is going to be pretty. Okay, thin. so so assume that the starting D tackles next year are Austin Johnson, Johnson SJD, SJD. Obonia, and Fahoko. And Fahoko. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think with with that with that four um, with Fahoko's form, uh, even though he's not been graded particularly high by PFF, I think he's doing a fantastic job. Austin Johnson was playing very well in the, in the, in the run game before he got injured. SJD is an interesting one. I still don't think he's heavy enough or he's big enough to play that proper nose tackle. And Obonia, who knows with the ruptured? Did he do his patella? Is that right? Obonia. Obonia. So I'd like to see a a big man. I'm talking bigger than Obonia as well. Anywhere between rounds two and five. I I think the, I think we need, we need a, listen, don't misquote me here. I'm not saying we need Aaron Donald. I'm not saying that. Siaki Ika. (laughs) It would be nice, but we need a guy who's 350, 360, who's six foot four. um, And that, that does a, probably a better job than, than Fahoko does. So, yeah, I'm, I'm saying anywhere between two and five. I don't think we take one in the first round. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what we do with Edge as well with our outside linebackers because hmm. I, I don't know if Chris Rumpf is it somehow and I'm not sure if KVN's going to stay around. And with Bosa being a year older, with Mac being a year older, that defensive line, which we thought is going to be a strength this year, now all well, of a Morgan, sudden... Morgan as- Fox has been a massive... 
Um, yeah. Huge. Massive guy on our defensive line. He's we played himself out of our co- contract, I reckon. We He's had six and a half sacks or whatever it is. We might not be able to afford him now. Yeah. Unless this is where Unless you, this is why you keep Brandon Staley. This is why you keep Brandon Staley because he's one of Staley's guys. He goes, you know what? No, I'm going to stay here. So time will tell with the restructures of what kind of culture that Brandon Staley has generated. He came out today and said, oh, all the guys are in. We're all, we're all in. We're going to try and stay here. We're going to do this. Time will tell. What do you well, think about it, Jack? Because like, I'm interested in your view, and then I've got one for you, Andy. But um, you've seen this in Essendon with the Asada stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think a loss like this destroys yeah. the culture Staley's built? We've seen, you know, I'll let you just answer it. Yeah, um, my first reaction, it was going to be, you know, you your mind goes to the Atlanta Super Bowl loss because it's, it's, it's of that gravity of, of a kind of soul-destroying defeat. Yes, it's not a Super Bowl, but it was uh, a lot of people's first time in the playoffs. It was our first time in the playoffs after a while. We're not Atlanta. We don't have an aging quarterback. Um, I think Brandon Staley has the capacity and capability to get through um, this with his players. We have emotional players in Joey Bosa, Derwin James, SJD, uh, Justin Herbert, not so much. He's quite removed as a, as a leader, but he's also very stoic and stalwart. So I think there are the personalities in the locker room to get through it. I think firing Brandon Staley would have been a would have been a mistake. I'm going to put that out there now because that's the figurehead. You go through shit. First year, second year, you get battle-hardened. Third years, this is it now, guys. So um, there's going to be no excuses next year. I think that's the corner that Staley and the team have now backed themselves in. At the end of next year, we see if it's time to blow it all up and rebuild, it's time to blow it up and rebuild um, because then you've got Justin Herbert's contract and you've got all that kind of stuff. So... I think, yes, I think there's an ability to do this, judging by the way the players have spoken and responded on social media too. I, 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 do, I don't think it's window dressing. Um, I don't think it's a, like a Lynn situation where everyone said, oh, he's a great guy, he would love to have him around, and Anthony Lynn was fired within days. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. Brandon's got a good relationship with the Spanners, if you didn't know. He very well does. He does. Catches up daily and weekly. Yeah, he's almost just cupping and fondling them with (laughs) some of his remarks. It's a bit, right, he's seen her work for Tom Telesco and he's thinking, actually, my job's on the line here. I better be careful about what I say. Uh, Andy, I got one for you, mate. And it's it's just a follow-up on Staley. So he's the coach now and he has said that he's going to remain the defensive play caller next year. What, what do you think about that? Um, uh, what do I think about it? I think that I'd rather him not go that way. Uh, I see why he kind of does because he has his, um, he has pride in everything that he's worked for and built and it's, it's his baby. And um, he talks a lot about the offense being his side of the ball because he was a QB, but he will not let go of um of the defense and i wouldn't have minded him to hire or replace ronaldo hill with someone older more experienced who can just worry about the defensive uh game game management and play calling uh and he can just focus on rather the game management and um the team as a whole you know yeah manage the clock the timeouts and stuff without having to do two things make it's it's field he's played a lot in uh in his first two years 
So going into this, there's a lot of pressure on, as you said, Jack, they really have, it's the fool me once, fool me twice kind of thing. Now we're going into year three. And that's, look, there's some of the the vitriol, I guess, is fair out in the thing, the way that, out in Twitter, it's the way that it's coming across is, um, is pretty nasty and really violent. And I put that down to the emotion of, mm. you know, the first 72 hours after a loss like that. But... Um, it's it's understandable that people are saying, oh, you know, we blew last year by losing to the Raiders and um, we blew this year by mismanaging the second half uh, or just not showing up in the second half at all. Um, it's disappointing and it hurts, but, yeah, I, st- I still have faith that we can he can reshuffle this coaching staff the way he needs to. I was surprised to see Shane Day fired. Um, I thought that the relationship he had with Herbert was, was really good, but... He also spoke in his presser about the importance of leadership. So I don't know, and alignment. So maybe mm. Shane Day, even though he hasn't really had too much to do with Joe Lombardi in the past, having come from San Fran, um, I don't know. That was, that was a bit of a surprise. Hmm. I just th- on that, I think if you're going to invite an OC, an OC to come in, you need to give the OC a choice of the quarterback coach. I think you you generally would yeah. see some kind of synchronicity there rather than say in you come and your QB coach is going to be this guy and your running back coach is going to be that exactly. guy. I think generally whoever comes in will get a bit of say over his stuff. That might, might've been the reason I'm just speculating. Yeah, maybe. I, I also maybe. think uh, I noted it today. I think that's why Michael Wilhoyt has also been shown the door. Mm. Um, as I sort of pointed out that special teams is made up of DBs and linebackers. And if we talk about Ryan Ficken's not going anywhere because he's taken that, um, that playing group to you know, sixth in the NFL. So, you know, stick with him and, you know, Ryan Ficken maybe gets a guy um, in that linebackers coach, uh, which is interesting. I mean, Alistair, I just wanted to throw, you, you asked Andy a question there. I just wanted to throw one yeah. back at you. Sure. Do you think that Brandon Staley calling the defense limits his capacity to grow as a head coach? And let me preface this before you answer by saying we've seen the defense change markedly to a number one defense in six weeks we know that brandon staley is a great defensive coordinator has that have can you note any bits of evidence or have you seen anything that he's becoming a better head coach because what you said before chances are that he's not because he's actually gone the other way he's philosophically confused what say you it's such a good question. I, I don't know the answer. Like part of me wants to let him burn like a flame and go out the way he wants to go out. This is his one chance of being a head coach. He wants to call the defense. He probably lets Lombardi have quite a bit of say on what happens with the offense. A lot of great head coaches, including some of the all-time greats, call the play on their side of the ball and did it from the get-go, I'm pretty sure. Don't 100% know, but guys like Belichick and others like Sean Payton, pretty sure from day one, they took their lumps, but knew what I'm best at doing here is this, and I'm going to do it. Mm. The problem is Staley hasn't actually shown he's good at, like great at doing that. He's Mm. not like a Sulla or Shanahan where he comes in and then the team suddenly transforms from being bad to being a top five Whatever. I mean, the defense just on some numbers are still in the 20s in both points and yards, even though we saw improvement at the end of the year. Yeah, it was a steep mountain uh, to climb. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I think you're right that if he did not have defensive play calling duties, he would have more time to dedicate to being a better all around head coach. Mm. I think I think one would have to, right? You just would have more time. You don't need to come up with a defensive game plan. You don't need to be thinking about calling plays. It's got to be bloody hard. But I want to empower him to make the decision for himself and do it his way, maybe in his final year. I, I mean, the, the the amount of personnel groupings that you have to change and looking at what the opposition are throwing out there in their personnel and then matching it, then making the play call. I mean, that's that's full on. That does not stop, right? It just does not stop. So you get this tunnel vision. I, I don't know. You get this tunnel vision of a of one half of the game. And when the offense is out there, you know, you kind of go, I'm taking a break here. But all of a sudden, there's a really critical fourth and two. And you go, oh, shit, actually, oh, f- okay, I actually need to. And I'm not saying that Staley can't do that but mm. you know if you're a coach that just is sitting back and has, has empowered I don't know how much freedom uh, you know Ronaldo Hill has there is he just uh, is, is he just relaying messages and looking after the the, the, the defensive players I'm not sure but yeah it, it, it feels like Staley tried to compensate for that lack of perhaps control on the offensive side of the ball last year by being uber aggressive that was that was my control that, that's how I'm going to do it. We're just going to go for it. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not even going to fathom it because I'm so busy being a first-year head coach and also a defensive coordinator here. Yeah. Now he's gone, Now nah, I think I've got the defense all right. Ooh, ooh, okay, I'm going to think about offense a little bit more. What are we doing? But then the defense started to really struggle. So it's a very – it's a confluence of factors, and I think it's going to be fascinating in year three. That's all I can and say. If you, and if you look at the coaches who did relinquish the play-calling duties, you're looking at guys like Mike Tomlin – you're looking mm. at guys like John Harbour. You're looking at Ron Rivera a little bit later on in his mm. career. And a lot of those guys are successful head coaches. You look at them on the sideline, they're not doing anything. They're just talking <laughs> in their headset. Uh, but a lot of them are great coaches. Maybe yeah. there's something mm. to it, Jack. What do you think, Andy? Um, oh, look, I, I see a lot of merit in Jack's suggestion that he could develop a lot more as a head coach. And my... I just feel like it's been a, a really quick rise. Like he was in the NFL for a couple of years, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in Chicago as a backers coach, and then um, a year, one year as a defensive coordinator in uh, in LA at the Rams, and then he's had now two years as a head coach. And it's just like, okay, I uh, can coach a position group. They're successful, got good talent, um, Mac, etc. At Chicago, and then I go to. Um, the Rams and we win the Super Bowl, got the number one defense. Um, and then <clears throat> comes, sorry, um, we got the number one defense next year on the Super Bowl. And then comes over to LA and he's got to do it all. He's He's got to manage the whole team um, and call the plays. And it's, it's a big step. It's a big jump for him to grow. And I'm sure he's capable of doing it, but that's, I understand the, the doubt around it. I'd like mm. to sort of, I think he'd see it as a step back for him um, mm. if he was to relinquish play calling duties. But I just don't think that he'll get a second chance with this team um, if it doesn't go well. Mm. Can I throw another question back at you as well, Andy? Yeah. We were talking about, we haven't talked about Derwin James just yet. And there's a lot of heat on Twitter from some corners of the Twitterverse saying that the defense is actually better off without Derwin James. 
now listen is, is this this is what i want to explore a little bit is it a fallacy i guess um i i sort of proposed it to us in our group chat that he's a very different weapon from an aaron donald and a jalen ramsey you can fire and forget with jalen ramsey and you can fire and forget with aaron donald because they just do their things jalen ramsey's a shutdown corner whatever side he's on whatever he's doing is not going to change the coverage for the players around him aaron donald he just wreaks havoc wherever he goes derwin james being a strong safety mixing cover two cover one you know jumping down those roots leaving gilman exposed um this swiss army knife you know he kept brandon staley kept saying we're going to utilize this guy as a swiss army knife he's going to be the do-it-all where where do you think where are you at what's your first uh, i guess reaction when i put it to you like that uh not really surprised because um what well, it, it when you put it to me in the way that the, we're not really sure whether or not it works Correct. i'm pretty sure on the last week's show i asked you what is actually the use in having this Swiss army knife guy who borderline has free reign on what he sees. Mm. He can just sort of go for. And, and it makes it all does. pro in so doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, fair enough. But at times, especially later in the year, he, while the defense started to really hum, when he returned, there were moments, week 18, mm. um, when he went to go on Cortland Sutton, Wilson hit Jerry Judy and Gilman was like, dude, are you covering the guy or um, I'm here in support? And there was just like, Gilman didn't know what was going on. Um, I feel like there is a little bit of uncertainty or just it's maybe there's getting used to having a guy out here who's just going to make a play on the ball and I've just got to commit to my route. And maybe it's a, um, so what I'm looking for, like a, lack of experience from Gilman to not mm. just like worry about what his job is. Uh, so who knows? I, um, I was, yeah, was not surprised by remarks about, mm. uh, the defense being better with, without him, but I still think it's silly and he's not, not on my team. What do you think, Alistair? Uh, I, I think it's hard off based just off the sample, but I think there's some sense to what Andy has said. Because, I mean, originally the the record with and without Derwin was extraordinary in terms of with him, we won a lot more games and without him, we suddenly lost all these games. And then the last few weeks, suddenly you have the opposite being the case. Uh, although they looked pretty damn good in the first half with him out there, didn't they? So, but I don't know, maybe maybe there is something to there being, I feel like there were definitely more explosive ga- plays allowed with Derwin in the lineup. Whether it was earlier in the season when he was available the only time we stopped letting up these explosive plays was kind of the period he was out injured, which is very interesting. I mean, we saw a huge one again against the Jags, right? We saw that big, big touchdown where yeah, something, yeah. something went wrong. Something for Staley to think about is their value. Sure. And, and the same thing has happened with some of these positionless plays around the league. Your Isaiah Simmons, Kyle Hamilton for the Ravens. The yeah. Ravens has realized this guy's a big nickel. We're going to play him there. That's right. Instead yeah. of trying to play him all over the place. Maybe just let do and be a fantastic strong safety. And and look at look at Jamal Adams. The guy's got one of the worst coverage grades in the league last couple of years. I mean, he's been injured, so you're better off just playing him at the line. You know, you, you go back to the Legion of Boom, where you had Earl Thomas on the back end, possibly one of the greatest free safeties of, of a generation. And then in that, you've got Cam Chancellor. And was he a middle linebacker or was he a strong safety? 
again, he's that he's that go between. What what do you call? It? He's the bandit. That's that bandit type player. Um, and then you've got Sherman, who was a lockdown corner. So it's an interesting kind of uh, I guess question to ask uh, and to see how he's going to be utilised next year. Because I think the green got the green dot got taken off him too. It was given yeah. to uh, Tranquil, which is an interesting kind of interesting one. All pro, yeah. understand, incredible player. Um, and I think I'd rather have him on my team than not. Uh, as a leader, but just an interesting one. Just that was another reaction yep. from the Twitterverse. Mm. Yeah, we've talked. Um, we've talked a few uh, coaches uh, so far. Some that are, have gone. Thanks for your service, Joe Lombardi and um, Michael Wilhoyt, and uh, who's the other one I'm missing? Shane, Shane Day, Day, as I mentioned. That's right. Um, thanks for your service and all that jazz. But it makes it exciting. We've got an offensive coordinator to look forward to uh, hiring um, and chat about. And we've still got some other coaches, some that I think might, whose heads might still be on the chopping block. Mm. Where do we, you said before, Jack, and we don't need to go on and on about this. Brandon Staley's safe. We're all comfortable with that. I um, want to get on my soapbox, soapbox about this. I've got, I've got something <laughs> I want to say about this. Okay, here I'm we go. I'm glad I introduced this. <laughs> yeah, because I'm quite passionate about it. I did a bit of research. I, I will post it in the comments. Here are just a few head coaches and their records after two full NFL seasons. Brandon Staley right now is 19 wins, 15 losses, and the, the playoff loss, his overall record is 55.9%. A few coaches who've had a much better record are guys like Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay. These are right at the top of the list, and this includes some Hall of Fame coaches, other Chargers coaches, and current coaches in the league. LaFleur, McVay, John Madden... Don Shula, Mike Tomlin, Nick Sirianni. They're all above 65%. Mike McCarthy, even Anthony Lynn after two years. They're all above 65%. Here are a lot of guys who had way lower records after two years. Tom Landry, the famous Cowboys Hall of Fame coach, 15%. Chuck Knoll, four Super Bowls with the Steelers, (laughs) 21%. Bill Walsh, 25%. Robert Sulla, Kyle Shanahan, 31%. Bill Belichick, 40%. So what I can take from some of that data, Andy Reid also had less, is if you wanted to fire Brandon Staley at this point with a winning record in two seasons, it would be, I think, historically unprecedented. I haven't completely looked through to see has anyone been fired with a 55% win-loss record. But... If you would have made the decision to fire him, I'm going to tell you that you are an arrogant GM and you are a bad GM. It is process-wise the same thing as trading up in the draft because you think you know better than everyone else and picking one player when you could have had two. What the NFL records tell you is after two seasons, there is such a variety of outcomes You could still either be a Hall of Fame coach, you could be Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick and these guys with shit records, or you could be someone with a great record. To fire someone with an above 50% record at this stage after two years reeks of arrogance, irrationality, and letting your emotions get the better of you. Because you know what? You might be right. Maybe he won't be a good coach. Maybe he'll be Mike McCoy or Lynn who also had above 50% records after two years. But I tell you that those guys didn't get deserve to get fired after two years either. You have to have the humility 
to let it play out for at least another season and see what happens. That's that's my perspective on Staley. Even if you don't like some of the things you've seen, you've got to give coaches a third year unless they've been so bad that they just clearly cannot hack it. And that is not Brandon Staley. <laughs> did you did, did you make the pun there to get fired? with uh, with yeah. Hackett? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I wish I did. That was good. Take credit uh, for it. Did Marty deserve to get fired after going fourteen and two? I'm sure a lot of people have opinions on that. It is a weird organization. Uh, But just those first two years, it's so hard. It's just so hard to be an NFL head coach. And another clear example when you're being illogical is when you start using absolute terms for everything you say. He always screws up. He doesn't do anything right. He is so arrogant. He's a liar. He lied to us. you're, what you're doing is you're getting too upset about what just happened, which was tragic. I was as upset as anyone. I barely slept on the plane on the way home, right? But you're forgetting that the team was very injured this year. He kept this group together, let them win four games in a row at the end of the year when everyone thought we weren't making playoffs. Remember just back then? We thought Titans weren't going to happen. We thought all these things weren't going to happen, and they did. So just he's got a lot to prove, but he definitely deserved to keep his job. Dun, 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 dun. There we go. Well, where, well done. Well where, said. Where do we sit on Where do we sit on Tom Telesco, guys? Interesting like one. We, I mean, you'd have to say if anything was to happen to Brandon Staley, then Tom Telesco would be out the door. Four failed coaches. Yeah. But uh, does it? Does, I don't think anything's going to happen. Um, personally, um, we've obviously had Joe Lombardi out the door. Uh, we can get into some potential replacements shortly. I'll just run through another couple of guys for myself before I throw over to you. Um, mm. I've got questions surrounding the offensive line and the run game. Now, yeah. look, injuries are one thing uh, on the offensive line, and that's fair, but there's got to be a combination of Brendan Nugent and Derek Foster um, organizing that run game, and no bueno. Um, hopefully something... Handy comes in, but we're just just thrashing it with non-power backs between the tackles relentlessly is just shocking. And look, a lot of that could come down to Lombardi, but I think there's questions to be asked of those two. Um, Ryan Ficken, we mentioned before, he's the first guy I'd bring back, did awesome things with special teams. Are there any coaches in particular that you guys aren't sure on yeah. or before we get really into the uh the oc stuff any other guys yeah i mean i'll, I'll answer this i'll also want to just talk about the relationship between joe lombardi and brandon staley before we do that as well maybe and then get into some offensive coordinators but how i look at it is that brandon staley was talking about coherency and consistency and the way i now see it is that with joe lombardi going you get a new oc which means that I think that OC has the chance to pick his offensive line because if we're going with a Shanahan uh, tree, mm. there's going to need a guy that's aware of knowing how to how to do that zone blocking scheme. Uh, you're probably going to get a new running backs coach in there as well who's familiar with that, who can empower Eckler in the back. So already Derek Foster and Brendan Nugent, they will fall under the purview of the purview of the new OC. Um, and obviously Shane Day has left as well. So I think that's where you're seeing. And then you've got, I think... I've I've sort of put yellows and reds and greens on the player on the coaches that I think are are, are, are sort of worried and and Nugent Foster Shane Day were all red for me. Chris Beatty, who's our wide receivers coach, I'm almost going to say he could be safe because there's been enough development from Palmer Guyton mm. to say that he's actually doing okay. Yeah, um, good call, Jack. 
Yeah, and then you've also got Kevin Koger as the tight end, and I put him as a bit of an orange because tight ends are really important in a if we're going with a Shanahan style. But yeah. tight ends, especially, are also really important in the special teams. So especially those third and fourth string development tight ends. So you know you want uh, you want a a tight ends coach to work with Ficken and also with the new OC. But there's been enough development in the tight ends, bar McKitty. Parham's been all right. You know, Everett's been a revelation this year. So I think he's going to be okay. Then where does Michael Wilhoyt? He's gone because uh, you know that he that linebacker's coach is going to have to work really closely with Ficken um, and also Hill. But then there's Giff Smith, and I don't – I've put red on Giff Smith too. Um, Jay Rogers – I think he's doing a pretty a good enough job. And then you've got Derek Ansley. I've, I've put the, both those guys green as well. Anything um, there, Alistair? Well, just, I, just on that, Giff Smith and Jay Rogers swapped roles. Do mm. you think that's had a, a positive or a negative impact on how the defensive lines played? Not much. We've brought in a lot of power, uh, star power, but maybe and, and lost Bosa to injury for a lot of the year. Um, yeah, you just I just kind of say... Dunno. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think Giff Smith is, you know, is obviously his relationship with Joey Bosa means that he sort of moved out there. I'd say, and and Mac, and you know, even though we've said that Rumpf hasn't been great, I mean, he still showed enough. Uh, but but I think everyone on the defensive side of the ball, like, he's kind just got to grow feel, up. Yeah, I I feel like everyone on the defensive side of the ball is kind of a green because mm. Staley's not changed. Um, yeah. So you know, but what about Ronaldo with, Hill? That's a, that's a big one. What, well, what, what would you do with Ronaldo Hill? I know Staley's now said he's going to play call, so I've 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 put him as green too. He's he's a DB he's a DB specialist. So uh, and he played I, in the NFL. He's the only guy on yeah. the now that Will Hoyt's gone. I think he might be the only dude, only coach exactly. who played. Yeah, yeah. So um, did you have anything else to add to that, Alistair? At all? I agreed with everything you said. Mm. I think Koga will be interesting. I think he probably goes when the new OC comes in. But I hear what you're saying about the alignment with Ficken. Brendan Nugent's gone. I thought the O-line wasn't as good this year. Our yeah. running game was awful. Mm. So he's, yeah. he's, he's going to go. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think what I wanted to touch on about, just really quickly, and we spoke about this today, is that the Joe Lombardi and Brandon Staley situation, Joe Lombardi has known Brandon Staley since he was 22 years old. We spoke on a podcast a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple of months ago, you know, how hard is it to have a conversation with your mentor? It's easy to have a conversation when the mentor is here and you're there. So for listeners, you know, the mentor is above you and you're below. When you supersede that mentor and that mentor now needs to start taking orders from you and directions from you, that's a very uncomfortable place to be. Now, you alluded to it, Alistair, perhaps Staley just gave Lombardi all the time and purview in the world and all the freedom because there was that weird relationship. You want to, he's a, Staley's a relationship guy. He doesn't want to jeopardize the guy that got him there. And so maybe it was just a, it was a rip the bandaid off. Okay. You got to disappear. And I think that's might've been holding back Brandon Staley's development. It's not a good dynamic, is it? Like imagine you would be, it would be difficult to have frank conversations with that person. But two years ago, perfect, because he's a brand new head coach and he needs that mentor there. It's that it's that crutch almost. Um, but you could also say that perhaps Brandon Staley's now outgrown Joe, which means Joe quietly goes on his way and Staley gets that new offensive coordinator in. And I think that's where we're going to go now, right, Andy? Uh, I think you're right. Um, there's been a few names tossed around. <clears throat> Probably the most attractive to me and 
uh, probably the hottest candidate, I think, on the market at the moment. A bit of a shock that he got released by the Jets is uh, Michael Fleur um, of the Shanahan system. Um, I like the idea of that. I think it makes it quite easy on um, the quarterback. And with an elite quarterback, it's really quite awesome to watch them succeed. Um, uh, Jack, is there any other name, other names that you're uh, across for the position or yeah. favorites of yours? Yeah, weird one. Another young guy, a Princeton guy. Uh, he's from the 49ers and that's Bobby Slowick and he's their oh. offensive passing game coordinator. Um, again, part of the Shanahan tree, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a quarterback focused coach. He's not a run focused coach. So perhaps you've got there, not only your, uh, your passing game coordinator, but you've got an OC who's very familiar with what it is like to deal with quarterbacks who are not great in the system and perhaps have a, have a limit to their talent of what they can do and getting him and his hands with Justin Herbert in that scheme, boy, oh boy, very young though, 35 years old, uh, mm-hmm. even though he does have a decent resume, but he was, an, he was one that popped up maybe a little bit out of left field. Alistair, okay. any, any from you? Three that would be Spanos types, uh, those who've had previous associations with the organization. The most obvious who falls into this bucket who I'd be happy enough with is Frank Reich. Been with the organization in the past. He gives Staley what I think he needs is one guy in the building who's been a head coach or who has a lot of experience. I would like to see that relationship. My only reservation about Frank Reich is I watched a lot of the Colts, especially when Rivers was there. Mm. And there's some of those same issues came a cropper, not running the, forgetting to run the ball at certain times. Or then when he should run the ball, he's, uh, so when he should pass, he's running the ball. And he'd o- often be apologizing to Colts fans about how he managed the game. That was a thing that happened quite a bit mm. in Indianapolis. Uh, two other guys with charges links, Scott Turner, North Turner's son, who was yeah. fired as OC from Washington. That could be a really easy one to do, right? There's still that kind of relationship there, familiarity with the organization. And then Is the there other a relationship one, there after the coach gets fired? Like would yeah. Frank like, happily walk back in the building? Would Scott, Scott Turner turn around and go, hey, yeah, you fired my dad. I'll work for you. Yeah, that's the je ne sais quoi. I, 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 can't, I, I don't know, but you're right. It could either be bad blood. You're or just too it, nice sometimes. Oh, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the one that would be a bit of a weird one would be, hey, you know what? Pep Hamilton just got fired from the Texans mm. yeah. and let's get him back in the building after doing stuff with Herbert. The only other one I want to mention that's random and out there and no one, I haven't heard as many talk about it is Todd Monken, who is the OC for the Georgia Bulldogs and has had experience in the NFL. He was a Browns OC for a year. He was a Bucks OC for a year. And he's been with that Georgia offense for three years now. Um, They've won championships. He's 56 years old. And it's pretty clear that um, Staley's got a relationship with Kirby Smart and and spends a lot of time thinking about Georgia. So he's one of the hot names in college football. Older head comes in and brings that veteran experience. Just a few. Mm. Yeah. A couple of other names from me. Um, Brian Johnson, he's currently the Eagles quarterback coach. He's young as well, 35. Uh, he's been <clears throat> working with Jalen Hurts. We've seen quite a, an awesome improvement in his game. And uh, another one, Zach Robinson, the Rams passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach, uh, obviously working under McVay, so that West Coast as well. Uh, McVay touts him as some kind of genius or 
He's amazing. So good raps on him. I think he's young as well. Uh, Who was that, Andy? Names for me, uh, Zach Robinson. Because I've I've got um Thomas Brown from the uh, from the the Rams because he's the assistant head coach. Uh, another oh, young cool. guy. He could sort of come in if he's from that McVeigh tree. Because I, I think this high, you know, Staley said in his press conference today that experience is not necessary. So we're not looking for a guy that has been an offensive coordinator in the past necessarily. Mm. But you're kind of wanting someone to come in, and if Staley is still play calling, he doesn't probably have the time to put a young guy who's not super confident in play calling going, okay, this is what we've got to do. You've got to have a guy that knows what it's like to be a head coach, that knows the pressure and the the time it takes to uh, to mm-hmm. develop these things and to have a bit of an ego. And when I think of ego, mm-hmm. I immediately think of Sean McVay, right? You think of the guy that's hyper, hyper masculine, but also very emotionally aware. Um, and so someone from that organization who's been an assistant head coach and spent two years with this guy, might that might have sort of rubbed off on him a little bit. But um, Thomas Brown, another young guy, Thomas Brown, 36. Um, I always think that anyone older that comes in, Brandon Staley's got to have a really interesting and positive working relationship with them. That's, that's all I can say. Also, the issue is you pointed out before, Alistair, we don't have many ex-players. Is that an issue? Some people see as, as it is. Um, and we can we have a whole young gun team of coaches? Possibly that would be very out of character for the Spanoses. But that's about it from my side. Uh, did you have anything else, Al? Joe Brady is another name that gets mentioned quite a bit. Yeah. He's again in that young hotshot thing who came in and burnt out in his first year with the Panthers, but now he's been working as the Buffalo Bills quarterback coach with Josh Allen. And maybe the second time around, I think he's early 30s. I don't have the data in front of me. But if you're trying to pair Brandon Staley with like an offensive wonderkin to everyone thought is the next big thing, he would fall into that type of a bucket. And probably not too much dissimilarity between... He worked under Sean Payton, I think, in 2017 and 18, uh, Joe Brady. So probably not too much different... Um, language and concepts in his offense to Joe's potentially. Well, yeah. Well, 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 that's a really so, good question, right? Are we, do we want continuity with the same verbiage and the, the, well, ba- the same basic, or do we want a brand new, do we want a McShanahan system? Just pick the best. Yeah. Her- Herbert is smart enough. Exactly. Really. If we were, yeah. I'm not worried. Like Matt Castle was saying how difficult he is. I, I don't know what Matt Castle is kind of, what his aptitude is, but I feel like Herbert has a very high aptitude and maybe there'll, it'll be one year where he's not in his best in year one, which is a bit of a problem because we kind of need to win the Super Bowl next year. But anyway, um, <laughs> we do want the best long-term fit. There's a lot of changes fit. happening at the wrong time. Yeah. We need the best long-term fit. If we're going to fire yeah. Lombardi, we must get this higher right. Uh, it has to be. Has to be right. And you could get conservative and say, we want to pick a guy who's not going to be head coach again because we want to keep him with Herbert. Whereas you hire a hot young guy and if it works, he'll be gone in a year's time, two years time. But yeah. oh, it's tough decisions to make. I'm glad I don't have to make it. Mm. Yeah. Well, we uh, we sit in wait for what may yet occur, uh, what we get aroused with via Twitter at the odd hours of the morning happening in the States. Um People getting fired and people getting hired. It's exciting times once again at Chargers Park. At least something positive to look forward to. Joe Lombardi's out the door. Our season may be done. Uh, but who will stay or who will go is the uh, question burning all Chargers fans' brains. Um, guys, as we sort of wrap up today, um, the three of us deeply want to thank you all for your listenership. 
throughout our first season here on TDU. Um, we'll be rounding out the 22-23 season uh, in a week or two's time, catching up with one of the boys, Kyle D. Don't miss us then. Um, we'll miss all of you as we take a bit of a break. Um, some stress leave, much needed after the last game. Mental health time off over February. Uh, then throughout March and April, we'll be back probably on a fortnightly kind of schedule, um, getting into free agency in the 2023 NFL draft. Don't forget to give the show a like and subscribe to the channel on YouTube. And if you're on Twitter, we'll be far more active on Twitter uh, throughout the off-season when the shows aren't on. Um, keep in touch with our shorts releases, um, info about our shows, and of course, hashtag TDU Films. Follow us at TDU underscore charges. You can find the three of us individually there as well. Keep up with the latest. Cheers, legends. One last time, boys. FTR! FTR. See ya. <laughs> See you guys. Have a good Firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, zigzag, 10, 5, high step, touchdown, San Diego! Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Good night, good night to all!